the most common union worker you're going to find in America is a black woman who works in healthcare or like the service industry. Yep. So like there's weird, these weird outdated ideas that they weren't even true back then. Like I wrote a whole book about how they weren't even true back then. It's just trying to like cleanse our minds of that, that weird stereotype that's just standing in our own way. to a very special Mayday edition of the Bituation Room podcast, a live stream, later stream, whatever it is to you. I'm so glad you press play. I'm so glad you tuned in. I'm so glad you shared the stream and you subscribed to this goddamn channel. I mean, how much fucking fire content must one put out to convince you that this is where you need to be and this is what you need to listen to, all right? Clearly more because we have such a good show. Labor author Kim Kelly is here. Going to be breaking down all the things from Starbucks to Amazon to everything else that has led us to this moment. Kind of a new upsurge um, in class consciousness, labor activity, union activity. Um, we have so far to go, but it is very heartening and exciting. And so it is a different kind of mayday and I'm fucking pumped. Um, also comedian James Fritz is here and we are not only going to talk about all things union, but we are going to imagine what would a social media platform not run by a sociopathic billionaire look like? What would that be? How could that work? Would it ever work now that Elon is buying Twitter or is trying to buy Twitter? Um, and all we can do is just talk about Elon every single effing day and it drives me up the wall. Um, let's imagine James and I are going to do that. That's going to be our final segment. You join in. And then, of course, we've got a bonus bish for all the patrons. Um, and this time, yo, honestly... This is some big lib shit of me to do. But let's talk about the White House Press Correspondents Dinner because I thought it was actually okay. Yes, I did. And I think it, look, is important for people in power to be able to laugh at themselves, um, you know, until it becomes sort of like a king court jester situation and it's like release the hounds, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, Trevor Noah and also Joe Biden told some jokes and I want to break it down obviously with a comedian so James and I are going to rank assess grade how both of them did that's in the bonus bish and you guys of course get access to that um, when you become patrons patreon.com slash bituation room is how you get access to that every single goddamn week you guys if you're a patron you know you get a special RSS feed it's super cute it's like rainbow colored and then you get 15 more minutes of content, a new story. And that's exclusive to you all. And now here's the thing about the Patreon. By the way, I'm Francesca Fiorentini. Have I mentioned that? <laughs> that's my fucking show. No, um, we're going to do something uh, a little, I don't know, a contest. Is this a contest? It's like a call-in. Basically, we're very close to getting 300 patrons, which is really exciting. And every single one of you has, and I don't say this lightly, is the reason that we can do this. That's it. You're just 
I appreciate it. If you've been a patron in the past, if you have, if you're a, you know, two bucks a month, I don't care. You make this show possible and thank you. Um, and if you are the 300th patron next week or the week after, depending on when I reach that, let's hope it's before next week. I'm going to invite you on to the bonus bish. Yes, that's right. We've got an open platform here. As long as you got Chrome and a camera, shit, man, you could do it on your phone. Get into the bonus bish. Throw down with me in the comic that we have on next week or the week after. And yeah, tell us about your life. Opine, join in. I'm excited to, to have you on. That's the 300th patron. We will make sure we know who you are. And you will never forget it. And then you're here for life. So, I mean, also, like, you know, subscribe carefully or whatnot. Um, and if you don't mess with the Patreon, you can obviously tip the show. TBR-Live on Venmo. TBR-Live on Cash App. Um, we, again, have such a really good show. Um, and I want to get to it all. So first, let me just go into and let us make some space in our lives for the things that we are bitching about. This is What Are You Bitching About? So, um, I might lose a lot of you when I start off what I'm bitching about. And uh, I also might get a little excited, and so, I, but I've got to maintain some zen because I'm, gr- I'm gestating a little mini-me inside right now. So, you know, she can feel and stuff. Uh, the other day, the cat like jumped on the window and I thought I was going to have a heart attack because I thought it was I've been listening to a lot of Stephen King, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, I thought I was going to die and I could feel the baby was like, you know, had fucking knives out like, yeah, you know, it's not a baby yet. It's still a fetus. Anyway, there was a solar eclipse in the last day or so. Trust me, this is going somewhere. And uh, it's transiting the Taurus quadrant that's not a real thing whatever there's a solar eclipse in taurus basically you got to figure out where taurus was when you were born and then kind of like that's sort of what this solar eclipse means and so taurus when i was born was in this place of like thinking and philosophy and like a, this means in my moment that i'm like kind of having a reckoning around what is my philosophy what what is my frame of mind and thinking and it kind of relates to a conversation i was having pretty recently um, on a, a sister or brother podcast about um, class reductionism and uh, versus supposed versus, I guess, identity politics. And it's a topic I care a lot about. And it's a topic that I have not talked openly that much about. But I feel like if you know me, and you know this show, and if you've listened to any of the guests that I've had on, You'll know a couple things about me. You'll know that one, I am very much action first and ideology ideology second. I'm not an ideologically driven person, very much more a strategic person. Uh, maybe that makes me a big old centrist dem. I don't think so. I think it's someone who wants to win, at least in my lifetime, uh, on a number of levels. So I never try to give my audience or my you know listeners purity tests. But if you also listen to everyone I've had on, you understand that there is a big theme, and that is real intersectionality, truly understanding the way that race and class and gender and sexuality 
and all the diff- all, all of our different identities intersect and interplay because we have been so divided by what Bell Hooks, the late great Bell Hooks, called white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, which she did not see as being able to be separated from one another. Now, here's here's the reality of what's going on on the left. On the left, in some social movements, some organizer, organizing, um, and some on a lot of online left spheres, which is that shit is done. Like identity politics, that's over with. Uh, and I understand why. I think a lot of people were radicalized by, excuse me, I think a lot of people were politicized by Obama. I think a lot of people put a lot of stock in Obama. Me? I knew we were going to be disappointed, very disappointed. I was much, I was politicized and radicalized a lot earlier than that. And a lot of people, they don't mean to, but they play into a little bit of like, thanks Obama, but from the left. And I understand that the Democratic Party weaponizes identity politics and woke washes, so to speak, which is the only time I will say woke. Uh, woke washing is very real M- movements like the Black Lives Matter movement and other movements as well. And I understand the ways we're supposed to yaz queen uh, someone who we fundamentally might disagree with, like our vice president, Kamala Harris. It's all BS. Our job is to not conflate, in my opinion, that attempt at low hanging identity politics fruit with a real holistic struggle for racial and economic justice. Okay. And the more we only dunk, like I love dunking on the yes queens and aha, it's so funny. And the yes, girl boss, bitch. I think that's, I do think it's funny, but at a certain degree, I'm like, yeah, but there are there is a there is legislation after legislation robbing women of their basic human rights right now. So like it's all funny when Democrats do it, but this shit is real, and that that these struggles are radical as fuck. All right, I feel like we've we don't have a lot of mentors on the left, and I and I feel sad about that. Now all of this is to say, I'm a Marxist. Of course, I'm a Marxist. Identity politics was coined by black radical feminists, mark avowed Marxists, who did not feel like they belonged either in the women's movement or in the black power movement or in a lot of socialist organizations that kept on telling them, shut up about your identity because we're only about class struggle. That's all it's about. And so you're the particularities of the way that you are oppressed, which, yes, intersect with class, you need to shut up about. Barbara Smith, who endorsed Bernie Sanders. Oh, what a lib. The coin, who, who coined identity politics. Part of the Kambahi River Collective. I urge everyone to read it. So not only is class reductionism ideologically wrong, in my opinion, but it is also, and this is the last thing I'll say, out of step with where the majority of Americans in this country are. You might think it's lib, you might think it's centrist, but the reality is massive amounts of multiracial young folks were out on the fucking streets because they killed an unarmed black man. You would not have seen that 30 years ago. You're not seeing solidarity marches. We are at a moment that cannot be ignored and should not be ignored. By the left, obviously by centrist Dems it is, but by the left it cannot be and it should not be. This is not weak sauce identity politics. It is radical. 
And you're going to be irrelevant if your politics does not incorporate that. Um, and finally, I'll just say, if you think you understand capitalism and you're a big fucking anti-capitalist, oh yeah, you're a big commie, you're a big socialist, whatever you think you are, and you believe that racism and capitalism can be separated, then you have no idea of which you speak because you have no idea how capitalism formed in the majority of the country on the backs of indigenous bodies, of black bodies. That was part of it. That was the whole fucking structure. That is all I will say. Please do not make yourself vulnerable to retrograde thinking. Please read people like Bell Hooks, like Robin D.G. Kelly, like Max Elbaum, who is my mentor, who I've had on this show many times, who wrote an entire anthology of the ways that Marxist-Leninist, dogmatic cadre organizations fucked up in the 70s, man. Really fucked up. And we're about to talk with a labor writer and historian who who is lifting up a lot of the stories of women, people of color, LGBTQ plus folks, the disabled. And the labor movement has absolutely been guilty of missing out on opportunities because they're too busy dividing themselves in terms of like uh, uh, not taking racism and sexism seriously enough, right? It was a long time when the labor movement did not want to organize undocumented workers or, or, excuse me, immigrants. Hello, Cesar Chavez. Why do you think that was such a radical new movement? It's because he was iced out of everywhere else. Just something to chew on for the class reductionists in, in the audience. And if I'm speaking to no one, then fuck, man, you've been listening to the right podcast. Um and that is the most ideology you will get out of me and what I am bitching about. And let us move on um, and bring in my guest. He is a stand-up comedian based in L.A. And his album Still Together was released by a special thing records. And he's a writer on the Frankie Quinones Show podcast. Please welcome James Fritz. Hi, Francesca. Hi, James. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. This is not my house. Before anyone thinks I am a class trader, I am dog setting. <laughs> <laughs> I know with all those palm trees framed, <laughs> how much, like how much was that? Honestly, I don't know, but they all the ha- Joshua tree, but they have a Kamala Harris book presenting on the shelf. All right. That's all. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm wearing an LA taco shirt. So that's where we are. Hell uh, yeah. yeah. Good to see you. Um, it's good to see you too, James. You heard me rant for a very long time. What are you yourself bitching about well, I, today? Listening to you, I almost audible. I was going to ban a uh, bitch about the FDA banning menthol cigarettes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I think no I think this. Okay, this is the problem. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, well, for, I've always said Democrats lost Ohio forever when we banned smoking in bars. That that was gone. And secondly, <laughs> you can't be a nanny state. And not provide the caretaking part that a nanny provides. Like, we're not going to give us health care, but you have to stop any enjoyment that might. This is bad policy. This isn't just an emotional argument. I think it's stupid. I think it's in line with 90s neoliberalism that just won't quit. And Mm. it drives me crazy. And then, like, I I say we call the anti-maskers bluffs. Like, whenever I saw, like, people celebrating on the planes when the announcement was made. Oh, that like, was brilliant. Uh-huh. We had just 
dug up Bin Laden and killed him again. Like, <laughs> I was like, they sh- and he was wearing a mask when we did it. But yes, <laughs> yeah, I was like, can we smoke on planes now? How far are we going with freedom? Like, I would love to see like a maskless lady being like, put that out, please. It's I'm like, oh, secondhand smoke, but uh, you know, anyway. But your thing got sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say on menthols, I think that is important. I mean, it reminds me of the big gulp ban, which like ultimately yes. I'm like, I guess I'm f- I, I think I'm for that just because I feel like if it was a but, but that's just because if I saw a loved one with a big gulp, I'd be like, babe, really? But 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 that's my, you know, right. elitism. But it's totally regressive and stupid and performative. And you're is, like, yeah, give fucking people help. All it here. does is piss people off. I don't, yes. I don't this isn't winning one vote. Right. Like, it, I mean, I know it's the FDA and they're not, but let's be real. Everything's political now. But, um, you were <laughs> talking. FDA ta- has <laughs> so many bigger fish to fry. Right. Anyway, That's yes, another yes. thing, too, that came out this week. I'm like, okay, so we're just done with COVID, huh? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we got to make sure these rappers don't smoke, don't mm-hmm. talk about menthol in their songs. Yeah. Like, your grandma cannot enjoy the remaining. <laughs> lung capacity she has right, that's right. what we want to do right i know some people i'm from kentucky i know some people that are only living to keep smoking menthol cigarettes like that's all <laughs> they have left in their tank man their oxygen tank um but um i was thinking about the uh the lady who gave that speech in michigan i think she was a house representative about like finally fighting back on all the insane grooming shit that's been being talked about. Did you see that? Where she yes, like went in yes. and I yes, was like, the state legislator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, like Democrats on the left, you have to engage with this stuff. You have to engage with women's rights and, and, and racial equality and trans equality. Cause like, if you ignore it, they automatically get stronger and win. And like, but they're so afraid to touch it. And then stories came out after that video went viral and Democrats were like, maybe we should start combating this. And I'm like, yes, you, ha- you have to do that. Like, it's just insane to me. People, all trans people I know in my life, because I'm 41, uh, 44. Jesus, I just had a birthday. I'm old as shit <laughs> for LA. I'm ancient. You just gave yourself three more years. I love how you just stuck 41. You're like, you know what, James, forever, you're 41 from now on. <laughs> no, I think that smoking rant was from three years ago. And my brain thought it was... I was younger than I was, but, um, (laughs) but like, you know, I had to adjust, I didn't grow up without trans people, of course, in, in Western Kentucky in the fucking eighties and nineties. Right. And like every, but I know tons of trans people now and all I've ever gotten from them is like, Hey, can you try to use the right pronoun? And like, that was it. And even when I would fuck up, they'd be like, Hey, I'm sorry. But like, can you try? And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Yes. I'm sorry. I apologize. And then it was over. And for like they, all they said was, "Can you call me this?" And people were like, "Let's throw them in jail." Like <laughs> trans people never said, no. "If you call me the wrong pronoun, you should go to jail." Then I would be like, yeah. "Okay, we might be getting a little too woke." No, and I think all <laughs> this is like, you know, no, I don't believe in like policing one another around all this stuff, you know, and I don't believe in condemning people to, you know, whatever cancellation if they mm-hmm. mess up someone's pronoun. Um, But for sure, uh, there is a very ridiculous um, 
stratification of oppression that the mm. left also participates on that is effectively the Dave Chappelle uh, it's sort of like we need to fix racism before y- I'm right. going to get your pronouns right, which I think is incredibly uh, reactionary. Yeah, um, it's inherently conservative. Inherently conservative. Yeah, <laughs> and you, and and the people who lift up someone like Chappelle's sort of ideology mm-hmm. are also people who would never lift a finger finger for racial justice. Right. They just want to say that yeah 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 black people have it worse than trans people and it's my job as most likely a white guy to like organize the the what to do slash what never to do right and if you don't combat it again like it's just insane to me netflix gave him 80 billion dollars and and they haven't taken it down and people have quit their jobs and still everyone's like netflix stock went down go woke go broke i'm like when did they go (laughs) when did that happen it's no. all capitalism doesn't give a fuck about wokeness, baby. Like No, <laughs> they really don't. And it's and it's so important for people to like just pull that apart yeah. and understand what is corporate bullshit and what is like a real movement. And I'm actually last thing I'll say on this, I'm so upset about what's happening to Roe v. Wade, but I'm also <sighs> very thrilled at the wake up call for a lot of like nonprofits like Planned Parenthood that have been so stuck in their ways that have earned, you know, they, they fundraise a lot off of Trump and, and what do we really have to show for it? You know, they're stopping abortions right now. And mostly it's local clinics that are doing the heavy lifting. So you're just kind of like, yeah, none of y'all were, you know, you, the fight was never kept up, you know? Um, Well, the fight became just about, being an opposition that could fundraise like it yeah you know yeah I, to me that's what it seems like i can't think of much actual progress that has been gained i mean gay marriage that's about it and i, mean, I it was, think yeah. that's gonna be gone in a couple oh years. they're going for it next 100 yeah, they're going yeah. for it next yeah. and yeah yeah anyway we could talk forever about this but i do want to bring in kim yes please. um someone to- smart <laughs> Let's bring in someone smart to tell us uh, what she's bitching about. Um, she is a labor reporter and she has a new book out called Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor. Everybody, please welcome Kim Kelly. Hi, how's it going? Hi, thank you for being here. Dude, happy May Day, you know, what a great happy way to it. Happy May Day. I'm so, so lucky we were able to get you and make this work. And as you wrote in your email, this will keep you out of trouble. <laughs> um, yeah. So I wanted to, Kim, before we get into the week, we're doing things a little differently. I'm bringing you in. What, what are you bitching about today? Hmm. Mm-hmm. The fact that May Day is still not recognized in the U S as international workers <laughs> holiday. And they try to feed us this loyal today bullshit every year to try and pretend that it doesn't exist. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Wait, what did you say? They feed us this loyal today? What is Loyalty that? Day. So this is, I don't know if you're <laughs> here. So this is like a long-standing tradition going back to like, I wrote a whole thing on it. Y'all can Google it. But essentially like there's this whole tradition in the U.S. that the president will I- issue a proclamation on May 1st uh, saying that May 1st is Loyalty Day to be loyal to America. And that is something that is like, like any day they would do that would be dis- distasteful to say the least. But yeah. They do that on May Day because, again, they don't want us to realize, like, oh, most other countries recognize International Workers' Day, but in the U.S., they don't like when we know about our history or they don't like when we think about, you know, getting ideas. So, happy Loyalty Day. It's so funny. That actually even sounds like Starbucks rewards program on their 
This sounds like was it a Nixon or a Reagan or a Carter? Like who did hmm. this? That was early. I have Earlier. to go back to. I wrote about this for Teen Vogue a couple of years ago, and I think they let me use the title that Labor Day is a government scam because it is. I read that There's whole history there too. Um, I don't remember yeah. exactly which president was behind it. One of them. They're never up to any good. Uh, but there's, there's a really interesting history there. Like it's. They're always trying to. They. The people in power are always trying to keep us from knowing the real truth and the real history, and to blind us with these sort of. Starbucks loyalty ass proclamations. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I'm gonna. I want to ask you more about that history, and we're gonna get into it. Um, actually, let, just really briefly, people. May Day was started in this country. Yeah, shout out to is Lisa that correct? Parsons, Albert Parsons. Yeah, it's um. So, okay, the first May Day parade happened in Chicago in 1886. It was led in part by Lucy Parsons and Albert Parsons, this pair of anarchist organizers and orators in Chicago who are deeply involved in the movement for the, the fight for the eight-hour day. And on that day in Chicago, they led a massive procession of un- unemployed workers and employed workers down through like a main thoroughfare in Chicago, basically being like, hey, we, we're serious about this whole eight-hour day thing. Like, hello, hello, we are here. There's lots of us, just, just so you know. And um, actually what happened a few days later, uh, I'm sure your listeners know about the Haymarket Affair, but just to Cliff notes it, a few days later, there was a rally, in support of striking workers at the McCormick's Reaper Works. There's a rally to support them. A couple anarchists and socialists and just labor organizers spoke. And a bomb was thrown. We still don't know who threw it. And it took out some mm-hmm. cops and it took out a whole bunch of regular people too. And mm-hmm. what came, basically what happened after that was that the state decided that they were going to try and convict like seven anarchist dudes who weren't even there. Like they weren't really connected, but they were... They were doing anarchism. They were being naughty. So they, they were around doing anarchism. Yeah, just out. And at this point, anarchism is, please, we only want to work eight hours a day because that's huge. <laughs> <Right>? like, <it's, laughs> honestly, we're, we're very nice. I swear. Always been very nice people. But I'll have to say, basically, seven innocent men were tried, convicted. Four of them were murdered by the state. One of them was Albert Parsons. And a few late, years later, uh, the what was it? The AFL. It's I'm not, I'm not gonna get into like super dating because there's a lot of dates, a lot of 1800s going on, but essentially, like uh, the second the Congress of the Second International in 1889 called May Day, May 1st, as like a mass day of uh, demonstrations and celebration for the Haymarket Martyrs. So, mm-hmm. May Day started at least in this country because a bunch of anarchists were trying to make the world a little bit better and got murked by the state. So happy day. Chicago away. <laughs> and there's a statue there for the Haymarket affair. Obviously, uh, don't call it a riot. Still don't know what, uh, you know, don't call it a riot. Um, and, and every time it's May Day, I always remind, like I have a tweet, I think, which is like, hey, if you really hate socialists, like make sure to work a 12 hour work day to day to just fucking hand <laughs> yeah. it to them. Right. Yeah, your you really with you. Make sure you're making you several pennies and breathing in smoke <laughs> and just being locked in. Like that's, yeah. Yeah, sorry about all that. Uh-huh. And bring your bring your child to work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that used to not be a fun holiday. That was just like, oh, that's how we're gonna pay our rent. Junior's coming with me down the coal pit. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I am history's so excited. fun. <laughs> <laughs> history's great. 
I'm so excited to actually like finish your book. Um, but yes, let's get into the week. And really, this is the only thing we're going to talk about for this week. Then we're going to talk about Starbucks and Amazon. But briefly, this was the week where uh, after North Carolina representative um, Madison Cawthorn <laughs> said that the GOP has sex parties in Washington. <laughs> A bunch of leaked videos and images and stories of him are making front page news. Him in drag, a male staffer grabbing his crotch, carrying a dagger around with him. And I know what you're thinking. Why does this make me hate him less? Um, <laughs> clearly, Ka- Cawthorn is learning the hard way that the first rule of GOP sex parties is you don't talk about GOP sex parties. And the second rule is don't get in line for the AOC dominatrix if you've already been spanked. Okay. Just. She's got one spanking for you, and you can't double dip. Um, the CDC has found that 60% of American adults have had COVID, and 75% uh, of children have had COVID, which means 40% of Americans need to live a little. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ. Get out there. Um, House Minority Leader, who's hoping to become Majority Leader in November, Kevin McCarthy, was caught on tape after January 6th, telling Liz Cheney that he would ask President Trump to resign, which goes against his previous statements downplaying everything that happened that day. Uh, now Republican voters are mad at him because he's not crazy or Trumpian enough, which is hilarious. Ah, suck it, Kevin McCarthy, except for just don't think about what that means for this country because that's very sad. Um, Oklahoma passed the six-week abortion ban in a copycat bill of Texas without exception of rape, incest, or fetal conditions, which would make the life unviable. Fun. Uh, I think it's clear, obviously, that Republicans have a great replacement theory. Yes, they do. They're replacing kids who are wanted with those who are unwanted, thereby guaranteeing more unloved Americans and therefore more Republican voters. You see? Brilliant strategy. We can play this game, too. Um, Russia is bombing Kiev and Biden asked Congress for $33 billion more dollars in military aid. And let me just say, I know, I know that we would we would suffer, but I just do hope that Russia does bomb the United States because it's the only way we could get Biden to spend this kind of money in our own country. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, oh, yeah, oh, bomb that bridge, dude. That Because we really need to rebuild it. Why don't you just get it? Bomb this highway. Well, bomb this school. No one will be there, but we really need a new school. <laughs> um, Biden says he is also looking into canceling some student debt, but it will not be $50,000 because that would be far too popular for everything else this is the week where okay so let's talk starbucks this is not necessarily the week but every single week it seems like starbucks workers uh or howard schultz their ceo is making headlines making waves so this is the company that used to be lauded for paying a whopping like nine dollars an hour you know and then you get a free frappuccino every shift or whatever the fuck. And now, of course, they've fallen woefully behind. So in 2021, Starbucks stores in upstate New York filed an election petitions with the NLRB. And since then, 250 other Starbucks stores have done the same. And about 40 have been successful in unionizing. And they've inspired workers across the country in all sectors. Union petitions are up 57% in the first half of 2022. 
this is just give you a sense. This is from the NLRB itself. Starbucks workers 2021, first three Starbucks uh, uh, franchises filed petitions. Okay, not that much activity, but then you've got another one in December and in Buffalo. And then look, January, February, March, April, just the number of petitions go crazy. They have definitely inspired workers across this country, all sectors. Um, And remember, just 6% of private sector workers in this country are unionized at all. And I want to show you in who is seeking to unionize in this country. So you could see 2012 versus 2022. This is also another graphic from the NLRB. And you've got accommodation and food services where I believe Starbucks would fall under going up to, as we said, 27, no, no, uh, 27.5% from 3.8% in 2012 to 27.5%. And then uh, uh, retail is huge, art and entertainment and recreation and education services. So needless to say, they have had an impact. And of course, that is scaring Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. And I want to go to him right now to let him have his say. Here he is in a leaked, I don't even know if this is leaked, but he's speaking to his own Starbucks workers about outside forces who are trying to threaten the company. Take a look. And the challenges are multiple. The pandemic, a post-pandemic customer, the relationship we have with our customers, competitive threats, and now a new outside force that's trying desperately to disrupt our company. Well, I believe in Starbucks more than ever because I believe in all of you. My faith and confidence in the future of Starbucks is based on my faith and confidence in you, not some outside force that's going to dictate or disrupt what we are and who we and who we are and what we do. Cute. Um, yeah. Kim, Kim yeah. does thumbs down. Yeah. Oh, I'd like um, to, I'm also against him. <laughs> For the record. I mean, I wanted, I wanted healthcare and reasonable time off and a fair wage until I heard out, until I heard he had faith in me. Yeah, I like, didn't that's know all that. I need is his faith in me. Every time this man speaks, another oh. baby eagle gets his wings. Like honestly, <laughs> yes. Oh my like god! If that guy's yeah, he, telling you that you don't need something, like oh oh, what is? Oh okay, we should look into this then. Clearly, if yeah. this guy thinks that we shouldn't do this, like this guy looks like my shitty stepdad. Fuck that guy. Fuck this guy. You know, like why would you fuck him in the bed like that? Yeah, the graph. Of, no, absolutely. Um, the graph of Starbucks is unionizing is directly proportional to the amount of time he speaks in public on camera. Yeah, they saw him try to run for office in 2020, oh. and we're like, as, as soon as this shit is over, <laughs> fuck this guy. He clearly has too much money. He has way too much money. If you have time, but to yes. clean, you have time to clean, man. Like get behind the counter and do some real work. That's right. Hell yeah. <laughs> But see, that's an interesting question, Kim, because you would think that something more convincing would be like, do a politician's tack, which is like, yeah, here I am. I'm working a shift at Starbucks myself. (laughs) I'm not that tired. Like, it's so easy to be a bad propaganda. And I guess it's for me, I'm like, why don't you try like better propaganda? Not just like insanely stale him being like the outsiders. We've heard that talk for forever. There was. There was literally a show that was just that propaganda undercover boss where like it just was like, look how 
down to earth our CEO is. He well, they tried that in Buffalo. They tried that in Buffalo earlier on. I remember because some of those workers were tweeting through it, just like, "What is this random like mid <laughs> mid level manager coming in mopping the floor for? Like, we can we don't need them to do that. They're not very good at it. Like, what is this right. supposed to be built to us? It's easier. The mop's got like all these cameras in it and shit. Like, do we do it? It's easier than having a cop at a protest. It's like right, like who's the new guy? This really is the kneeling happy. equivalent. It's definitely like kneel, a cop kneeling at a BLM march. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thoughts, um, Kim, on, I mean, Starbucks, which is, you know, even now, the far right thinks Starbucks is some emblem of like liberal yeah. thought. You know, Tucker Carlson used to say, oh, when Biden is elected, you're going to be forced to drink Starbucks. <laughs> like, what the fuck? You know? Um, and everything but, right? And yeah. and you'd think they respond differently, but they have fired workers. And thanks to the NLRB director, basically, uh, in Arizona said, you know, no, 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 no. They filed an injunction on behalf of the three workers who were fired in that in that franchise. And they said, you have to reinstate them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, thoughts and they on claimed like, what? Starbucks, I read that. Are they claimed that you sent? They claimed like... um. No, they just walked out. <laughs> like, well, they were being insubordinate, you know. Insubordination, and, uh, right? Right. That's the blanket excuse that they can. The blonde roast is never tossed <laughs> at the end of the day. It's always mixed in with, you know, the dark yeah. for the next day, and that's yeah. basic. As my dad used to say, "You never toss the blonde." It's like fine company <laughs> we got here. <laughs> Fucking creepy old man. I get more mad when the it's a creepy old man who's trying to pass as a nerd like this guy. Yeah, you know, just totally. be a creepy old man. Don't try to be like a likable nerd too. Honestly, just go be rich and leave us alone. Why are you Dang. still even going to the office? Go sit somewhere and be rich. Because <laughs> nothing's enough. There's never enough money for them. There's never enough attention for them. It's, so, it's like they want to be cool and they want to be loved and they want to have all the money and treat us like garbage. It's like, well, you have you have to pick one. You, right. can't, have, you can't catch them all, sweetheart. Like, oh, my yeah. God. I, I, I George Clooney. Even, <laughs> you know? George Clooney could exploit me any day. But yeah. that being said, <laughs> do, do you see – I mean, I know that, Kim, your book looked into – and we're going to talk about it more specifically – um, but it looked through history and all the different sectors that like mobilized and made and obviously made history, made waves and have we who we have to thank for the labor protections that we have today. Um, but in terms of like retail, what do you what does that say to you and service workers? What does that say to you about like the the economy and the moment that we're in right now? Mm. I think one of the reasons that there's been so much public support and interest in the Starbucks Workers United organizing wave is that like. Most people know what Starbucks is, right? Like how most people know what Amazon is. They've, they've woven themselves into the fabric of our lives, for better or worse. And a lot of union fights and labor struggles and conflicts happen. It, it takes a little bit more work to find out about them, right? Like people don't necessarily know about the Teamsters going on strike in Seattle. They don't necessarily know about coal miners on strike in Alabama. But if there's some shit going on at their local Starbucks and they're trying to get their latte, like, oh, they're going to pay attention, and it's, I mean, like going back to that graph you show, just the workers in these very public facing jobs that people sort of potentially see as more human. There's a little more, you know, a little more empathy there potentially, unless they're the reason that workers are quitting these jobs because right. know, nobody can behave themselves in this country. But- well, I mean, and it's, it's, it takes a lot to say 
to a customer. I mean, shit, we've been really good at it as we've seen from the multiple like Karen and Kevin videos or whatever. But like, you know, to say to a customer, this person who is working through a pandemic, uh, was trying working hard to get you your, yeah, like non-fat latte, half calf, blah, blah, blah. Like, like that they are undeserving of a raise or that they, um, you know, I think it's it's just very different. Um, I think folks are taking inspiration from the fact that like, most people know like, okay, Starbucks is huge. They're everywhere. They probably have a lot of money. And if these people who are, you know, delivering my, me my daily frappuccino or whatever, they're standing up against them. And it seems like they're kind of winning. Like, that's very interesting. Maybe that means mm-hmm. that I could talk to my boss. I could talk to my coworkers. Like, if they can go up against this like wildly rich billionaire who has stores everywhere in the world and probably on Mars already. Like maybe that means I can do something too. I think we're going to, yeah. I think slash hope we're going to see more people looking at this example and looking at what's happening with Amazon, these massive corporations and think like, okay, like if they can do it, why can't I? And I hope mm-hmm. yeah, that's, I hope so. Mm-hmm. I think so. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. This is, I just wanted to go to this from, this is from today starbucks workers drive nationwide surge in union organizing and i think kim you're exactly right like basically every single starbucks franchise has now turned into a franchise where you could talk about labor rights like where you could talk about unions Mm -hmm. they fucking did that to themselves and so anyway uh, we said that 25.5 27 and a half percent of all union election petitions um is coming from the food services industry and a small number of independently owned coffee houses in cities like Minneapolis, Philadelphia, Nashville are joining hundreds of Starbucks locations around the country in seeking union representation. So that's great that like, you know, I don't know, coffee beans jumping in there. Maybe not. Um, who, else, who else we got? Yeah. We're coming for your ass. Where you at Pete's? Say that again, Kim. We were Sorry. making dumb jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, like the works of Good Karma here in Philly, a small locally uh, smoke coffee chain. Like they've been kind of hand in hand with the Starbucks workers. Like there's a whole little movement uh, brewing, if you will, here yeah. in Philly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I mean, and like you said, like nothing, nothing preaches like success. Like, you know? like very. Yeah, that's why Amazon. Yeah, and that's why when you read that Amazon like pays a guy two hundred fifty thousand dollars an hour to go down to like uh, where was it Arkansas and Alabama, and, Alabama sorry, uh, and just to crush, try to crush the union. Yeah, and it's well, like oh, it's worth that much because they know if one domino falls, it right? could yep. change. We should find everything. that about that second domino from Staten Island. Uh, as soon as tomorrow, May 2nd. Yes. So yes. Oh, that's tomorrow? Cool. Let's move to that. So this was also the week where just um, a few weeks after the first successful and independent union campaign at an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island, the first one in the United States, which is in Stat- was in Staten Island, now a second vote um, is coming down the pike and we're awaiting results. They should be in uh, any any moment now. And of course, they're going to call me the first day here. <laughs> um, uh, this is the second Amazon warehouse also on Staten Island called LDJ5. And I want to just go to a quick video um, with an outlet that, Kim, you've done awesome work for, uh, More Perfect Union. Um, so here is a little bit of, also, it's the Amazon Labor Union, ALU, independent union, that is helping organize um, this second warehouse there. Sorry, 
I'm going to start off and say that's Bernie Sanders and uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They, they, along with others, had a rally for those workers. So you can, you're going to hear him start off speaking. So usually they're like 20 people, but the past week what they've been doing is they've stopped production for the last hour of each shift to bring every single person, 500 people on the shift, into this meeting where the general manager and like the vice the vice president of HR for all of Amazon comes and please begs people basically to vote no. Like never in the history of Amazon have they ever stopped production to pull people <laughs> for an all hands on deck meeting. I was working on lane two and they pulled like a number of they're called splitters. They're the people who take the boxes off the conveyor belt and split them into different sections. They pulled probably like five of them off of the lane to go take them to a union busting meeting and it caused a huge pile of boxes. There was another person who was trying to get boxes off the conveyor belt and it, it had piled up all the way around his head so that he was trapped next to the conveyor belt and I had to literally un like unbury him oh my God. out of these boxes. And that's because they're pulling people into union busting meetings. So, I mean, they're literally creating safety hazards in order to try to get us to vote no. The union busting has gotten worse ever since JFK won. I think the tactics show uh, a level of desperation, and I think workers see that too, and I think it's backfiring. It happened in JFK also. They started to get desperate. They started to get aggressive. They arrested Chris and Brett and Jason. They're also having the union busters, the outside consultants, disguised as workers. They gave them the blue badges. They hired them on as workers, and they have them on the floor pretending to be workers, talking with the actual workers telling them to vote no. Meanwhile, these union busters are getting paid $400 an hour. Get 25 cent raise every six months, and then after three years, we don't get a raise. We'd have to go to a, a higher position. When there ain't enough room to get a higher position, you, you move up, you should get a more pay. If I take another job besides where I began at, if I, if I start teaching people my job, I deserve a raise. Each level, each job you take, you should get extra money for what you do. They don't accept people's like um, shift change to become full-time workers. They've like denied me full-time work. There's a lot of favoritism in, in LDJ5. Like if you're not really like not friends with the managers, you get stuck in the worst lanes. All the stories, all the horror stories you heard in, from JFK 8, they're true in our building too. And they're true in every Amazon building across the country. So this, this movement right here, this is just the beginning, like everyone's been saying. All right. Um, Kim. <laughs> yeah. Watching that, how, how does that square with the reporting you've done on Amazon in Alabama and Bessemer in terms of the tactics, in terms of the treatment of workers? Oh, it's like they said, that the same horrible things that are happening within those warehouses in Staten Island are happening in Bessemer, like the and everywhere else. Like the last time I was down there, well, I've been, I'm always in Alabama, it seems like, but one of the last times I was down there, I interviewed a couple of workers about the fact that two people, two workers had died the same day at that Amazon facility, one on the actual, like the shop floor and one at the hospital where they were taken after suffering like cardiac arrest. Like, and that was just one day. And they know of other people that had died. Like this is one place in one state, one city. It's the amount of surveillance that Amazon has, you know, created, implemented for itself. It, it works great for them, but I feel like that same 
magnifying glass needs to be zeroed in on what they're doing in there because mm-hmm. it's like it's like the jungle all over again like mm-hmm. these are just massive mechanized sweatshops where people aren't valued for anything more than their ability to create more profit for that fucking space cowboy i mean nothing <laughs> sorry can i just nothing prove that like i'm from western kentucky those tornadoes and the people that died in that indiana uh, warehouse um and the people who died out in um in um, <clears throat> the county next to where I grew up in that candle factory, not Amazon, but Amazon killed those people in India and in, it was Indiana, I believe. And um, mm-hmm. they just told them to keep working there when they had a tornado on the radar, like it's coming. And they were like, no, you have to stay here and work. And they just killed those people. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if that's not <laughs> the factory, then I don't know what it is, you know? Yeah. That's totally the jungle. The and, jungle. and, what like Kim in terms of the the Staten Island vote like what what are your thoughts on that victory at least at the JFK 8 warehouse and what do you feel like we should take away from it it's a huge deal it's you know as i wrote in the intro to my book I, I wrote a lot about the bessemer attempt well they're on their second attempt now they keep trying and they're eventually going to win but like i said someone has to be the first and then when someone else is going to build on that build on that build on that these guys and the, like these folks in Staten Island, like they flick that first domino and there's no stopping that momentum right and even if it gets tougher it's going to get tougher when they try to bargain it's going to get tougher when they sit across from those lawyers but they've shown that they've built up such a strong community and such a strong base of solidarity that I feel like they can take them on too. And the greatest okay. lessons we can take from uh, from their victory and from their success and from their, their grassroots worker-led campaign is the fact that it came directly from the workers in a way that was very difficult for Amazon's union busters to kind of chisel into. Because in Bessemer, one of the tactics they used was to tell workers, look, these people from New York are going to come down here. They're going to take your money. They're going to mess with your job security. They don't understand you. They don't understand Alabama. And some people listen to that because, like, if you don't have a strong, like, uh, inoculation campaign, if you don't understand how unions work already, if you're just trying to get a paycheck at the best-paying mm-hmm. job around, you're like, okay, well, that seems like none of my business. But in Staten Island, they couldn't do that because the workers were organizing in the break room and in the parking lot. It was people that knew one another. Yeah. And it was, it was, I think it's also significant that this victory came because of like black and brown working class workers, queer and trans workers, younger workers, multilingual workers, folks that like spoke one another's language in a variety of ways on multiple levels. And it just, it's hard to break those bonds. And especially once you get a win, like mm. I tell them shit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Can I can I ask you about the NLRB's ruling, which happened between that first Bessemer vote, which obviously was not successful, and then this vote um, that said basically Amazon had to let organizers onto the shop floor and allow them to organize rather than what you were reporting on, which was like they couldn't even – they changed a stoplight time so that like organizers blocks. couldn't – like you couldn't right. get in there. Like and like organizers couldn't get in there. The worker organizers do it. Were doing everything they could, but like, mm-hmm. I, I think that the NLRB decision was a game changer, and it also kind of gave them a little bit of a boost. Like, oh, like we can do this. Like you can't tell us not to. Like this is clearly what we're doing is right. Yeah, and the law's on our side for once. Like this, it was a huge boost. And whereas in Bessemer, like if they had 
private, not even private police. They had local Bessemer police patrolling the parking lot to make sure, sure. no one stepped foot on there. I got yelled at more times than I would care to share publicly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wow. the worst. Um, Literal yeah. rent cops. <laughs> no, they, they, yeah. they're racking up overtime yep. just to terrorize people as they're trying to go in and out of work. Yep. And of course, now, um, this week, um, Amazon <laughs> that, uh, has said that nationwide it will no longer pay workers who are out sick with COVID or inform workers when someone at their warehouse tests positive for COVID. It ain't hearts <laughs> and minds. Yeah, Hell yeah. <laughs> They're already doing that in Alabama. They don't tell people anything. They pretend. Surely. But, you know, they'll surveil, they'll surveil every move you make. But if someone next to you catches a deadly virus, it's like, oh. Oh, you want you want us to tell you? That seems like a little much. Yeah. <laughs> right. These. This is the same company that monitors your bathroom breaks. Oh, yeah. And won't allow you to like where you have to like plan them out in advance. And yeah. And, oh, oh yeah. I remember. I uh, the phrase I really keep on trying to forget, but time <laughs> off task. Uh. Which is an I don't know if it's only an Amazon, but that's where I heard it first. The Amazon fucking. Um, just corporate overlordism of like people working till they, as you just said, die mm-hmm. um, or pass out. Like, anyway, well, death so- is like time off. <laughs> the ultimate strike. <laughs> I ain't coming back in. You can't make me. Save up all your save up all your time off for the end. Yeah. <laughs> that is, you know, you and Howie Schultz should really team up. <laughs> Well, here's what I'll oh, just tell him that death is like time off. Though. Well, I would, but he's too cheap t- even to pay for the extended Zoom. He's still on the free one. <laughs> you got to get a Bezos union busting job, <laughs> not a not a Starbucks one. But yeah, okay. So the Amazon put it out. They're like, we're not going to send notifications in our facilities about COVID, um, and all employees will now get five days of excused unpaid time for confirmed wow. COVID-19 de- diagnosis, regardless of vaccination status. We will no longer excuse time while waiting for a test result. So, and, and again, this is my whole thing with, and we don't, we're not necessarily talking about COVID, but this is the entire thing with when the entire, the country decides it's over. Yes. Without putting in proper protections for the so-called essential workers Getting you your fucking whatever it is, nail polish on a Tuesday. Yeah, I'm just thinking about Amazon. You know, like like that's what happened. The the people who are dying are going to be those very same workers that you spent so much wasted breath lauding for so long. Yeah, and and I guess I want to ask you, Kim, in terms of if you feel like there's a sea change, like this. You know, you're reporting before COVID. Versus your reporting after COVID, your you know the union efforts and drives before it versus after. Like, what was the? How did this pandemic kind of turn up the heat on on this whole thing and on something on on a situation that was long overdue in terms of of um, activity? I think there's been a really intense reimagining of how a lot of workers see their labor and their lives and the value that they attach to those things and the value that other people attach to those things. I mean, it's, it's funny because I spent like when I first started writing this book, my whole goal was like, I went to come out in time for May Day. And then all this stuff happened. We had like the pandemic kicked off. We had this idea of the great resignation where workers were like, you know, take this job and shove it. I'm going to find something better. We've yes. had like the rise of strike total. We had these very big public 
like well reported on strikes, which is not something that we're accustomed to seeing, especially in like ABC News or CNN or whatever. They usually will not deign to, you know, yeah. what the pans are up to. At all. <laughs> and that's a shift too, right? Like the media is yeah. realizing, oh, people are actually interested in workers and workers' stories. Like, maybe <laughs> we should, I don't know, maybe we should check this thing out. Right. Um, I think all of are these- you are you getting those those ma- primetime hits? Tell me you are. Tell me it's not just the bituation room. ABC hit me up to talk about the coal miners. That was pretty sick. Really? Um, That's I, very sick. Yeah, I think I'm just a little too like gritty, grimy for the other ones. Fine. <laughs> 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 I would have to not swear, and that's, you know, that's trouble for me personally. <laughs> but, um, I mean, at this moment, we're like, and I always try and find the, the optimism, the hope. I'm like fucking heavy metal labor Pollyanna out here. But it does <laughs> seem like there is this renewed or brand new sense of energy and enthusiasm and optimism. Because, like, labor, organized labor has been on the back foot since, like, before I was born. Yeah. Like, where the numbers aren't great. The num- we don't like the numbers in terms of density. But I feel like there, there's movement, like there's things happening, mm-hmm. not to give too much credit to anything the government does, but the NLRB has actually kind of grown some teeth. Shout out mm-hmm. to Jennifer Abruzzo. Like we were talking about those captive audience meetings at Amazon earlier. Like she just put out a memo recently saying like, let's, let's get rid of those. Like if we can actually get rid of captive audience meetings, that is a huge blow to the union busters toolkit. One of the and what is a captive that, audience meeting? Right. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, it's what you were. It's, it's what um, the workers right? were talking about, like right when you get pulled into like a classroom, or I guess in the case of that, I don't know how you fit five hundred people oh, into yeah. any room. I guess you rent out like a fucking venue. But essentially, <laughs> <laughs> you, like you're your work, and your boss pulls you in. And it's a mandatory meeting where you have to sit there and listen to anti-union consultants tell you why unions are bad. And that's like, it seems like something that shouldn't be legal, but it extremely is. And union busters love it because it's a great way to intimidate and to spread inf- uh, misinformation. Mm-hmm. And so getting rid of those at, at bare minimum would be a huge boon. One of the worker organizers I talked to in Bessemer last time I was down there, was, I asked him, like, what do you think that, how would that matter to what you guys are trying to do? And he's like, oh, dude, we would have won the first time. If people weren't being yeah. like spending hours having that drilled into their head that this union was going to ruin their lives, right? Like, totally, yeah, right. Yeah. And then they show them like uh, Hoffa starring Jack Nicholson or something, and be like, "See, <laughs> yeah, they were literally telling people like the getting pictures of like union officials' cars and being like, look, 'Look, they're just going to buy another big truck with your dues.' <laughs> right? Oh, man, everyone has a giant yeah. truck. Calm down. I mean, our oh, guy's okay. going to space right, right. in a cowboy hat, but this guy's got a new Benz. Yeah, in fairness. <laughs> This guy's staying at a Holiday Inn. Yeah, How dare like, he? Yeah, right. Same shitty when I stayed there for like two months. So, <laughs> I know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it seems like like people, especially the younger generation, which saying as a thirty-four-year-old makes me feel like an ancient crone. But like the younger generation are like really excited about an interest in unions because they're they're living through this like horrifying moment when there's no jobs and the jobs that we do have pay us like shit and the world's on fire. Like people want to make a change and people who are younger who are seeing this happen are like, Oh shit. Like maybe we can do that. There's not even the lie. There's not even the lie of a safety net anymore for that generation. Totally. You know what I mean? There's not even the dream of like, of like going to debt to go to college and everything will be fine. Like that. even that's that's been proven a lie. There's no good health. There's nothing. In fact, the opposite, house, right? It's, yeah, rent is going. Yeah, they got nothing. It, it, it's too damn high. 
<laughs> Might as well get paid more at your high. fucking shitty job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's in fact the opposite, right? Because when we know that companies like Walmart rely on food stamp programs to supplement yes. what they're not willing to pay. Yep. Um, it's just like, well, that that there you fucking go. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. You're now your externality, your capitalist externality of oh, I guess oh, people yeah. can't make ends meet is suddenly, you know, that's essentially a government handout to them. Of course it's not are. a government handout to the people who actually need who need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I wanted to just show you to bolster the point that Kim, you're making that union is unionizing is incredibly and labor unions are incredibly popular this is so you could see in 2021 we're at like 68 percent approval rating and it's the first time i think since 1964 that support for unions this is according to gallup first time support for unions has been this high so that's it's uh that's shocking to me actually (laughs) <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's almost great. as if people are realizing that unions are a good thing you're like oh let me get some of that <laughs> right after 40 years of anti-union propaganda yeah yeah totally Long Kim I know but, you know what I mean <laughs> I mean Ronald Reagan continued to, to roast in hell for that Yes. <laughs> oh my God, does he ever? Um, I don't want to. I want to keep you for too long. I know you're saying maybe your laptop will die, and I've been there. So if you need to get your charger, get it. I can yell my boyfriend to bring it. If you could excuse me for two seconds. I would love oh, to. No, I want to hear you charger. yell at your boyfriend. Here, we'll take we'll take you out of the we'll take you out of the stream Damn as it. you as you get it. Oh, we wanted to hear that. I just wanted to hear. Hey, Jeremy, Jeremy. <laughs> that's what I. That's what I do. I I text Matt. I'm like, I forgot my water. <laughs> okay, um, babe. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, so the the last thing I was gonna say uh, is, I was driving by a Jack in the Box the other day. You can't leave now, James. I'm not. I don't care if you've got a dog. I don't care if that dog is dying. The dog literally fell in the pool, which is a <laughs> where, which not, is not a during the show, right? <laughs> what? Right not be- during the show, right? Right before the show. So oh I had to God. run and towel him off, and now. He's going crazy and <laughs> running on a, their whole house is going to smell like wet dog when they get back. But I only get $50 a day. So fuck them. I don't care. I, I'm just here to hang out with Norm. Yeah. You get to hang out. Can you have a party and like invite your friends over? Come on over. Hell yeah. All right. I'm there, dude. There's a pool. I heard the, a dog fell in the pool, which means I could probably fall in the pool. I'm very excited about that. <laughs> He's still um, great. But yeah, that was him barking. I apologize. No, it's all good. Maybe we have Kim back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say that I, I was driving past like a Jack in the Box. And oh, obviously this is in L.A. So it's the cost of living is way higher. But I, it's also fucking Jack in the Box. And it's like starting wages are $17 an hour. And then you see like I think there was a Panera that was also like starting wage, $18 an hour. And you're like, oh, shit. Like I think that a lot of this stuff – is working i think that a lot of corporations are running scared they know it's hard to hire people and keep them Mm -hmm. and you know whether or not it's unionizing um obviously that are going to get them to drive up wages um which is the only thing that truly will but you know the mass resignation the stimulus money that help workers that had a little bit more as we called it uh the other day like uh fuck you money Doug Henwood said that on this pro- program a few months ago that, you know, workers having more fuck you money and corporations mm-hmm. know that. So, yeah, they're going to have to shell out money they've always had. 
Right. And um, I know we're not just shitting on Dems, but one of my big disappointments is that I think a lot of people are going to go to the ballot box in November and feel like they had it better in like that first year under Trump in terms of being helped out. And I know that's not true. And I know like Republican, one of their main evil things is they set everything to expire after they're out of office and then get bad. But like, totally like the child brilliant strategy. Yeah, it is. It really is. And Democrats should do the same. I mean, but I mean, no Democrats own and their own popular programs (laughs) while they're still in office. While they're, well, this is polling at 99%. We're we're done, right? We're done with this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. <laughs> that goodwill will extend. We don't need to keep doing the child tax credit. I think that, the biggest that's problem what is, I was going to say. Like the, the amount yeah. of children lifted out of poverty, which what could be more popular than that? <laughs> Lifting children out of poverty. And I don't know, because Joe Biden wouldn't take Joe Manchin to a dark room and beat him with a tire iron. Here we are. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm bringing Kim back in. Hopefully, Please, I'm unhinged. You are. I mean, you're insane. Got a wet um, dog. We got a wet dog. Our laptops are dying. <laughs> um, Kim Kelly, you wrote a book, "Fight Like Hell: The Untold History of American Labor." It is out now. Everyone should get it. She says she can't hear me, but that's okay. Um, I'll just type it to her. This is what they do. This is what they do. <laughs> On May Day, I love it. This is what she does. She, how can you stage a worker strike on my program? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, we should have made picket signs for you. Like, <laughs> one hour podcast. <laughs> she, I mean, yes, she should be like, I've read the receipt. The receipts say it was only going to be on for an hour. And this is a lot longer than that. And you'd be right, Kim. Hey, let's take a moment. I'm going to do a couple of announcements and James is going to suck it up and deal with it. But you guys know we have merchandise. Merchandise. Bituationroom.com. Please get a t-shirt. Get a Frantifa shirt. Those are my faves. Get a tote bag. I'm working on a bitch cap. At some point, I'll get a bitch cap. (laughs) Because, you know, you get your bitch caps on. Working on a bitch cap. Working on a bitch cat. It sounds like you're working on a night cat, but it's a bitch cat. Um, oh, also, happy Eid. Eid Mubarak to anyone who's celebrating. Um, in addition to May Day. In addition to uh, Asian American Pacific Islander Month. Happy, happy all that. And then also, if you guys are around on Wednesdays, 1 to 3 p.m. Pacific time, might I suggest... You tune into the Twitchuation Room, which is on TYT's Twitch, twitch.tv slash TYT. It's really fun. It's just me, sometimes my cat. <laughs> and uh, I bring in a lot of good stories, and it's a raucous, rompous. It's a really good time. I'm just going to say it's a good time. Rompous? Isn't and it a rompous as well? It's a rompous. It's a raucous rompous in, in, in a rhomboid. Um, and remember, after this, as I stall continually... Uh, you should definitely check out the Twitch room. But after this, James and I are going to look at the White House press correspondence dinner. And if you are a patron of the show, patreon.com slash bituation room, you get access to all that bonus material. Um, we do extra, extra bonus stories every single week. And so we're going to break all that down. And 
because we're so close to 300 patrons, if you are the 300th patron. I will come to your house. James will come to your house with a wet dog. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And, or he'll invite you to the house he is currently house-sitting at. I do have a place to live. <laughs> Generally, I live at my own home, which has four walls and, and a roof. Exist, and my girlfriend is real. <laughs> sure. Oh, wow. Now we're adding a girlfriend to this? Come on. Cool. Cool. Um <laughs> Well, anyway, all to say, if you're the 300th patron, you will be brought into the bonus bish and we'll have a lot of fun. So please, please, please um, join up. Kim Kelly, do we have you back? I think so. Hey! <laughs> I like, yeah, I have a whole little set. Yeah, we've been running around. We've been, we've been tech supporting. We've been troubleshooting. Amazing. Um, yeah. um, well... <laughs> Briefly, I just want to – so, okay, your book, which I just have to say congratulations because I feel like I kept up with the progress on Twitter where you're like, oh, my God, I've got to – oh, yeah. My slow mind meld that I did for <laughs> two years. Fight Like Hell, The Untold History of American Labor. It is just even looking at the contents, you're like, I want to read this so fast. The, the gar- you, you, you break down – you break down the chapters by sector and you kind of give everyone sort of like this like hero title or like they're like, you know, who was organizing in what period of time, the garment workers, the miners, the harvesters, the metal workers, the movers out of all those chapters, which was the chapter that you had the most fun writing that you were like, this one slaps. (laughs) Hmm. I think one of the ones that was the most satisfying at least was also the hardest. It took me the longest, the chapter um, called the prisoners on incarcerated workers, mm-hmm. because first of all, like some of the people I interviewed, I couldn't just like text them, you know, cause they're <laughs> in prison. Yeah. So there was, it took a little time to get all my interviews in, t- in, in order and all that. But I also going into, I didn't know very much about the history of the, that movement before like 2014. Cause I know all about, I walked the Industrial uh, Works of the World's Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee and I've been you know, following that for, I guess, since the jump. But as I was researching this chapter, I found out that there was this really incredible intersection in the 1970s of like the Black Power Movement, the Chicano Power Movement, uh, the Prisoners' Rights Movement, and this entire Prisoners' Labor Union Movement that there's really only a couple of scholars, like Dan Berger is a great one, who have really kind of gotten into it. Uh, and and Donald Tibbs, he wrote a really great book about it. But at one we point love Dan. in this country, yeah, at old, one point, old comrade Dan Berger. Anyway, yeah, keep going. yeah, at one point in this country, like during the seventies, there were prisoners' unions in like Rhode Island and Maine and Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Minnesota, like all over the place. And um, there's actually a quote in in Don, uh, Donald Tibbs' book, uh, "Black Power to Prison Power: The Making of Jones versus North Carolina Prisoners' Labor Union," in every Invert the, the their chapters in virtually every prison where there was a union. Like ninety percent of the people wanted to be involved. Wow! And this was really just there was so much momentum there. There was so much happening there, and the government was like, "Wait, we can't be having that." <laughs> and in nineteen seventy seven, the Supreme Court decision called Jones versus North Carolina Prisoners Labor Union basically uh, they basically removed these incarcerated workers' rights as workers by saying people in prison do not have the right to organize or join a labor union. Damn. They just like 
cut that off at the knees. We were like, oh, you thought you were people. Right. No, no, no. We can't be having that. And that really kind of threw a, a wrench in the gears with that whole movement. It didn't end prisoners' labor union organizing with the, you know behind the walls, but it definitely hurt it because like they were really doing some incredible things there. And then the government was like, oh, no, 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 no. Right. But all those yeah. guys who decided that really like Johnny Cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, coming out of North Carolina. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of good oh, old boys yeah, who they thought they were rebels. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, that is, that's crazy. And did, did you follow that up until today or a little bit? Or that's just sort of like, it was, I mean, I, I think a lot of things, a lot of labor organizing was quashed in like the 70s right that was kind of the you know that was the move especially when well reagan came into power later but like that um the sort of backlash started then i guess i mean a lot of movements were crushed in the 70s right (laughs) a lot of movements were crushed in the 70s 70s. (laughs) great time for music bad time for social movements we all agree yeah like the 70s pop up a lot in the book just in just different demographics different groups of workers doing different things but the way that i structured is less like it's not super chronological because that's kind of boring to me it's um it kind of jumps around from like era to era and it yes. ended on, actually, one of my best friends was in Rikers while I was writing the book, and he helped organize a strike early on in the COVID pandemic when they were, like, him and his bunkmates weren't getting soap or masks or anything Damn. you need to survive. Rikers is insane, especially. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he made it out, but, like, he knew he knew guys in there that were, like, working as grave diggers for COVID victims with no PPE. Like, it was mm-hmm. What could go wrong? And, like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, grave digger. Yeah, I know. No, that, that's, oh my God. Like, yes. And over here in California, we send them to fight fires. And of course, when they get out, uh, they not able to become firefighters. Right. Not, not able. Right. Yeah, I think um, there's some legislation potentially in the works to address that. Or maybe like some half-assed kind of thing. Yes. I think because yes. like, oh. the governor got shamed so hard about it. Yes, yeah. I don't know where that's at. It's California. Hopefully. At most, it'll be one quarter ass. It won't even be half. Yeah, we'll give twenty five percent ass. Uh, Newsom will do it right before he tries to once again get reelected. Right. Because um, <laughs> all the other op, and then he'll get recalled again, and we'll have to fucking fight for him again. I hate this state. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so in your introduction, you have this. I mean, you're a really great writer. Can I just say you're an awesome writer mm-hmm. and this book reads like it wants to be read and I encourage everyone to get it. But you write, um, there are precious few history books that focus on labor at all. And the stories of poor and working class women, black people, Latino people, indigenous people, Asian and Pacific Islander people, immigrants of all backgrounds, religious minorities, queer and trans people, disabled people, the sex workers and the undocumented people whose work is criminalized and people who are incarcerated seldom get top billing when it's time to publish. It's a damn shame, too, because those are the very people who had the most to lose yet have found it within themselves to give more and fight harder than anyone else. I love that. And I, I wanted to ask you, um, in addition to incarcerated organizers, what is another like favorite story from these like not covered in your standard labor history um, over American labor history overview? Sure. And, uh, and of course, when I say labor books, I mean the books that like anybody can go pick up on a shelf, right? Like there's all kinds of like incredible scholars and historians who preserve these stories and, and written great academic books that I used in my research. But it's not 
super accessible. Like that history mm. is not just something you can find in Barnes and Noble all the time. And also something that I really enjoyed doing was kind of exploring the intersections because Marsha P. Johnson is a labor icon, but I don't know if that is necessarily a connection that you would find in many other books. But like, not only was she an icon of like, like trans liberation, like queer liberation, like we know about her in Stonewall, she was also a sex worker and she was a disabled woman. And the, 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 she, the work that she and um, especially her, Sylvia Rivera and Miss Major Griffin Gracie, they're all engaged in sex work at various points in their, in their careers. And they used those funds to help support queer and trans youth. Uh, they fund, they used their money from hustling, as they called it, to purchase a building in the East Village to serve as a haven for these youth. Mm-hmm. Um, Rivera said in an interview from 1998 that I have in the book, we fed people and clothed people. We kept the building going. We went out and hustled the streets. We paid the rent. So as sex workers, as queer and trans like organizers, like it's all, it's all connected. So I was, it was, it was cool to be able to pull that all together and be like, look, like, yeah. Shout out to Marsha P. Johnson on Labor Day too. Yes. And, and in terms of like the sort of same forces we're seeing now um, in terms of union, uh, like strike breakers, union busting, corporate tactics, all that. What else do you feel like, and what did you learn in terms of the things that hampered the labor movement, um, you know, beyond those external forces and even political forces? Like, was there anything that surprised you or interested you or sort of like raised a little flag? I, I mentioned very, very early in this show about kind of the the ways that unions often um, have ignored immigrant labor, for example, as a sector of organizing, as a sector to be, and, and on a May day, on a, on a previous May day, I believe in 2006, if I'm not mistaken, it was the day without an immigrant, massive walkouts in, in cities like Chicago of, of immigrants documented and undocumented saying, we run these town, we run these cities. Like this is our labor helps these cities run. Um, anyway, so any, anything about like sort of the, the historic, like hampering of the movement sure uh obviously racism and xenophobia (laughs) those are are the big ones and like like, this is america but also even within the labor movement like i think that when you love something you should be allowed to criticize it and there are a lot of really ugly chapters in the american labor movement's history there Mm -hmm. were like entire eras where the people in power and labor were actively trying to disenfranchise and discriminate against entire swaths of workers even um, the Chinese Exclusion Act, 1882, the AFL, American Federation of Labor, they're all about it. They're big fans. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. like, oh, we don't want like these new workers come here and take jobs from our members. This was in the sure. 1880s. Mm. Think about how many times you've heard that yeah. throughout history, throughout our lifetimes. I mean, we saw that really pop up again uh, during World War II when the Bracero Program was bringing lots of Mexican guest workers to come work in the fields because all the because other people were overseas doing some shit, you know. And we need to keep the economy going. And there there's some labor labor folks, labor leaders who are like, oh well we can't well this is no good. Like what about our members? What about our jobs? Like mm-hmm. these folks are taking our jobs. And it's like, well, we could have seen that they could have used that as an opportunity to be like, oh, there's all these new workers here. Let's organize them. So then everyone will be our members and we'll be stronger. But instead they took this like like narrow little worldview 
have screwed themselves over and screwed over these workers that were just trying to pay their fucking rent. Like there's right. so many instances throughout history, and it, but it's you're seeing similar but... to. I just feel like you see it similarly today in the bad faith ways that like the far right can sort of you know dog whistle to, you know, as if the coal miners are all white and are all willing to just throw any person of color under the bus. You know what I mean? Like there is this, you see a similar thread and through line, of course, to today. I mean, they should take a trip down to Alabama and see the guys leading the strike in Brookwood Mm -hmm. because that is, I think that (laughs) that specific UMWA local is like one of the most integrated and they have been since the 1890s. Like it's, Nothing is a monolith in this country, especially yeah. not the labor movement. And there is no one type of union worker. There's no one type of union member. Yeah. Like I had somebody at the at the book launch the other day in New York ask me this like long question that was basically like, well, since union members are basically blue blue collar white guys, blah blah blah. And I was like, well, the, what? Like, <laughs> the most common like the most common union worker you're going to find in America is a black woman who works in healthcare or like the service industry. Yep. So like this weird these weird outdated ideas that. They weren't even true back then. Like I wrote a whole book about how they weren't even true back then. It's just trying to like cleanse our minds of that that weird stereotype that's just standing in our own way. We're right. Or if it's like, but also it's a way to value like kind of white jobs over everybody else or like the myth of the white male worker over everybody else. And absolutely that's been used to divide people and yeah. it for sure has been used by bosses to try and break strikes and stuff. It's a, it's um, a, I mean, we, sorry. Oh, the last thing I was going to say is I, I remember, you know, we've talked to um, organizers who with a one fair wage campaign who are working on ending the tipped wage because of how um, it is discriminatory and racist tips are generally but like how you have like um front of house and usually wealthier like servers who are like no let's not get rid of it um because essentially i'm here because i'm making more than the cooks and i'm making i'm making more than you know the bussers and whatever whatever and i don't want to be i want to continually be like be paid more (laughs) and like which is the opposite of like a certain like holistic solidarity that'll get help everyone there's a little tidbit that you can read more about in the book, but the practice of tipping in the U.S. was popularized on the Pullman sleeper car rail line because the guy who ran it, fucking old uh, Joey Pullman himself, uh, encouraged <laughs> passengers to, to basically like the Pullman porters at that time were all black men, predominantly from the South, predominantly dark skinned. There's a whole like weird fucked up racist dynamic intentionally set up there but basically like those workers were predominantly they depended on tips to supplement their wages and that made them have to like act in a certain obsequious way to these customers these white customers and i guess his other gilded age robber baron buddies saw that and were like oh that's an idea so (laughs) yeah all this stuff it goes back so far it's so great yeah Let's just thank Kim and let her go. Everybody, get the book. Can you show it to us? I feel like you had it somewhere. She's like, oh, damn, that's right. See, now look what I've done. Oh, it is. Wait, give give us a side pro, side profile. Oh, give us that. How thick is that oh, thing? Oh, she's a big girl. Oh, yeah. Like a that's a juice. There's a lot going on. <laughs> the bibliography alone could be a whole other book. So please do me a favor and read that fucking thing. <laughs> read the bibliography first, everybody. Just get your goddamn hands on it. 
and gift it to all of your friends. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody follow Kim on Twitter at Grim Kim. Follow her reporting. She, she just crushes it. On and, and are you going to be? Are you touring? With yeah, the book? a little bit. I'm doing um, DC and Baltimore this week. I'm going to do a bunch more stuff in the Midwest in June and like the West Coast a little bit. I'm trying to get down south. I want to go everywhere, everywhere they'll, yeah. they'll allow me to step foot. <laughs> and we have a bunch of virtual stuff too. inside the, the Bessemer warehouse again. Um, <laughs> inside a prison, that would actually be really dope. I feel, I feel um, there's ways I could end up there. I don't know if it would be for research. thank you for keeping me out of trouble on this mayday evening and yeah i'll see y'all later i'll we'll see you later thank take thank you and take good care james you've hung on you've commandeered the show for me well i'm waiting for a dog to dry i can't really go anywhere well i appreciate it can we do one more final segment before we jump over you can do whatever you want. Hell yeah. All right, you guys. Let's do this. We're getting into it because this is the week, obviously, where Elon decided he wants really? Twitter to be his own personal plaything. New shiny thing. <laughs> Oops, he broke it. Um, and I got to say, I think the thing that annoys me the most about this bid, because it might not go through. He might not be able to buy it. I don't. I don't know. Usually when he says he's going to do something, it happens 100% of the time and on time. I mean, we are on Mars currently. I haven't been exploded in a car. (laughs) Yeah, That was all fake news. Yeah, everyone everyone who ever was exploded has been fired from, I mean, on fire, but also fired. Um, How do we know they weren't uh, climate change protesters? They're all Greta Thunberg, deep state, (laughs) false flag actors. Crisis actors. Um, so the new, the new Tesla false flag coming. This <laughs> God, he's so online. He might name a car that he's so severely online. Take a billionaire already shit personality, and then yeah. take a severely online personality. Yeah. No disrespect, but already a shit personality. What? Not to you, but to the chat. Um, <laughs> I was like, have you seen my have you seen my, my followings? Have you seen, yeah. And I'm then like you smush to them together. Brand on Instagram. Don't worry about my ego. <laughs> you put them together and you get Elon Musk's bid. But anyway, the point it's is nuts. I feel like we need to envision a better mm. a better future for you know the internet, which you can dream it, you can achieve it. Exactly, right? exactly. So this is what what kind of social network mm. would you build? If any, this is our socialist media. And everyone else, please I chime in. What what is what do you need? What do you require? Do you want an is it just an edit button or is there something more? Edit buttons are bad. I would love a autocorrect. A little bit of a, a little bit, but I don't, that's small. Well, that's peanuts. This you know is what? small potatoes. Five minute timer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because okay. the edit button, like, that's too, I don't know. Someone could say something vile and then change, and it could be retweeted and then they could change it. But five minutes, I figure. Five minute rule. Oh. It's like dropping, it's like dropping something on the <laughs> yes. ground, yeah. you know? Hey, you dropped this <laughs> yeah. on the floor, which is Twitter. Uh-huh. You you drop <laughs> this really stupid fucking tweet on the floor. Right. Do you want to dust it off? Uh, eat e- it. Eating is like a retweeting. <laughs> so 
I'm lost. Um, <laughs> what what is your ideal? What's your new social media, James? You you've we don't want to be in the hands of you know a totalitarian yeah. state like tick with TikTok or sure. you know a fucking was once well, used May to Day, rank so girls. I didn't prepare too hard for this show. Oh no, but, that's important. Yeah, no, don't uh, work. But uh, but off the dome. You know, but this is Hollywood. We it has to be existing IP. So Marvel, Truth Marvel, something like that. You know, we can't have a new oh yeah okay idea. So it's gonna be and a, it feels it's like a Disney Twitter platform. Is, Twitter is ninety percent talking about Marvel products anyway. It seems like every time I log in, no matter the out. I, I I don't give a fuck about Marvel, but algorithm be damned. It's I like Martin Scorsese connected to Marvel and the in the like Marvel. <laughs> that opinion all... gets suppressed. If you talk yes. about any other film that isn't a Marvel movie on Marvel related. Marvel Truth. <laughs> Truth Marvel. Truth Marvel. I'm sorry. Truth yeah, Marvel. Yeah. That gets suppressed. You're like, hey, I really liked everywhere, everything <laughs> everywhere all the time all at uh, once. Nah. Yeah. Boo. What would Thanos? What would Thanos have done? Oh, they did a multiverse first. Exactly. This is just like <laughs> this is just like indie Marvel, which is inherently crap. <laughs> okay, that's my oh, first pick. Stra- Who is it? Strange. Doctor Strange would have a lot yeah, to say. Or how I learned to stop worrying and love the Marvel. <laughs> Oh, that's Doctor Strange Marvel. Yes, I thought it, I was like, yeah, yeah. which one's the Doctor on the Mar? I'm horrible with Marvel shows as well, but I like well, that. Why would you be? They're all so vastly different from each other, and it it isn't just a never ending pool of content that is okay, but meaningless. The same. I just don't like. I'm just not that into. The, I'm not that into the superhero stuff. The only I kind of I used to dig X Men, and then I'm like, eh. But okay, so Truth Marvel, I love that, where we sort of like, we're like, there is a Thanos, or maybe we're like, actually, there is. Oh, that's a button you snap and it erases. Oh, it erases the whole thing. Erases your whole. Yes, yes, the whole platform gets erased and we start over. I love that. So every single day, you're like, who's going to be the person to press the the button, the Thanos button? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you get one press per lifetime, everyone on the platform. That's good. That is good. I like that. Actually, mine's a little more like what's up, honey. Oh, okay. I didn't know what that noise was. Okay. I'm sorry. I I thought you were talking to me. I was like, yes, darling. Um, No, the dog is wet and insane. So, okay. My, my, my very quickly, my platform is called guillotine, but without any of the vowels so it's like um getting and it's uh get her done yeah get her done guillotine get her done and you have to you have to enter your tax information because you have to make it less than a hundred thousand a year i like this so you can only join if you make less than a hundred thousand and all you can share on guillotine is one cute animal videos and two Hmm. Discussions about which billionaires need to die. Okay, I like that. And that's it. That is it. It can only be cute, not animals being hurt. It's cute, animal, adorable, sloth in a basket falling asleep. Or I think that Elon would 
I'm I think that Elon should wear diapers when we take him to the gallows so he doesn't shit all over Uh-oh. the platform because I don't want to clean know, up his shit. You know, wearing diapers is the only way he can come. <laughs> come on. Elon, baby. He's a fucking freak. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, YouTube censors um, and uh, people who will dig this up when I run time. for office one day. Hmm. I'm not so, yeah, I hope no one digs this when I run at Elon Musk with a knife. What? No. <laughs> Why do I keep... All right, I got, I got a second idea. What's up? Um... All right, social media platform, but you have to blow into a breathalyzer to prove you're drunk to use it, and it's run by Doug Stanhope. Because he believes in free speech, but he's also a nice guy who hates bullies, and he renounced his libertarianism. Did he? Oh, a while back, yeah. He's okay. like, that was stupid. That was bad. All right, I like that. And and but it, and now is he sober or is he still drink? No, no, no. So. <laughs> Right, no, no. My my man is a drunk. So okay, I love this. You have to be drunk in order to tweet. And that and if everyone knew that, I think it would make the whole community be like, ah, they're just drunk. I agree with you. (laughs) If everyone stopped trying to be smart and could just be floppy, Mm. everyone we would win. It's called sorry so sloppy. Sorry so sloppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Triple S. I like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the hit. And, and would it be owned by a billionaire, or would it be collectively, no. or would it be like sponsored by like Jack Daniels or something? No, it would be sponsored by Svetka. <laughs> <laughs> the twenty-two-year-old me is very excited about this sponsorship. <laughs> She would have preferred Absolute, but she'll do Svetka if she has to. Um, oh, no, no. It's sponsored by Pop-Off, the cheapest. <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to meet whoever owns Pop-Off. That's what the, is like, Pop-Off? That's the really cheap one, right? That's what? like the gut rock vodka, I believe. Oh, God. Right? I like – I when I am able to drink again – I mean, I can, but like baby and stuff mm. – um, yeah, you got a little narc in your belly. I do. Fucking mm. such a fucking. <laughs> I want to be able to. Uh, I want to be able to try whip shots, which is Cardi B's like uh, whipped cream with vodka in it. I think that'd be pretty yummy. That's like a that's a sexy ass gift, also to get somebody. Anyway, we're getting off topic, and the topic is this: our show is over. Except for the patrons, where we're going to talk about the White House press correspondence center. James Fritz, you're so goddamn funny. Where can people so find nice. you and your work? Uh, my handle is Fritz is dead on everything because I thought that would be funny when I was younger, and now it's scary. <laughs> now that I'm 41 or 44, <laughs> it's yeah, getting closer. Um, awesome. <laughs> I, like, I like a guy who lies about his age, but it's, I'm not 44. I'm 41. It's like, I'm what? Ooh. <laughs> Wow, I was going to say. I'm not even shaving it to 40. <laughs> or you make it, make it like 37. Um, right. No, no, it's dumb. This character I do, I'm doing is dumb. He is in quotes. He thinks he doesn't think it's dumb. He thinks it's very, very ingenious. Everybody, follow James Fritz on all the socials. Go see him live when you can. And take very good care, James. I'll see you in the bonus later. 
Hef on YouTube says they need to put cigarettes back in candy machines where they belong. Thank you. Hef also given a super chat. Loyal to Mama Fran. Thank you so much. Uh, Bruce Vardy on YouTube. Loyalty Day was originally called Americanization Day in 1921 for the first time. Finally acted enacted in 1955 by Eisenhower. Mm, going way back. Raul Davila, do you think Whole Foods or other things owned by Amazon will also unionize due to its momentum? Yes, absolutely. I absolutely think so. Um, Camperman 5000, the Fritzuation Room. I assume that's when I was gone. <laughs> Groove Dragon. Um, Groove Dragon says, be kind, please. And I don't know what this is in re- reference to, but I want to say it's in reference to what kind of social media we would want. And that's sort of like the bar. Uh, and then Dark Dark Star Mike 85 said, Hello, Francesca. I've been loving Behind the Bastards of jo- with John Wayne. Yes, with obviously Robert Evans, but I've been on Behind the Bastards. You guys should all listen to that as well. And let me see, is there any other? Uh, Bama Raider 12 says, Delivery drivers should come in and pour out their pee bottles on the manager's floor. Lol. Uh, Martin says, I broke up with Amazon about four months ago and not and so far not missing them. That's something we all strive to do. It's just every once in a while I, I get like a thing. Um, John Don Nor says, uh, new guy. I'd like to apply for one of the management jobs. Amazon, are you a sociopath? New guy. Yes, I am. Amazon, you're hired. There we go. See, I could read that one out. Thank you very much, John Don. Appreciate it. And thanks to everyone who chimed in, who's been here, who's like stuck around for this whole insane show. And of course, now it is time for a proper ceremonial fight song. I gotta thank the new patrons at $10 or more. First of all, every patron matters. Hashtag all patrons matter. But of course, uh, thanking the people who gave 10 bucks or more. Uh, Zednew. X-E-D-N-I-E-W. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's awesome. Thank you for being a patron at 10 bucks or more. Big tippers, Robert G, who really had a week. Robert, Robert, you shouldn't have. Robert, you're very generous. Thank you. Joseph L, of course, as always. To the Twitch subs, Brandy Lou 2, Harry Balsich, Chris Huggy, Lizzie Nepon, Ozzy Plant Dragon, Calm Like a Mom, Grandpa Dragon 1953, Adam Bomb, Pagan Communist, Fitzich, and thank you for the super chats again, Half Omega Shenron Dragon and Raul Davila. We will see you next week, every Sunday, 5 8 Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Thank you to Paige Omek for crushing it as, as always as the producer of this show, to Maximilian Inhoff, to Alexandra Orness on the other side of the chats. Uh, please follow the show on TikTok uh, at Franny Fio and Instagram at Franny Fio and on Twitter at Bituation Pod. And remember, y'all, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it, be about it. Peace. <laughs>